Good morning. I'm preaching from a big Bible this morning. We have a big God. I'd like to open in prayer. Uh, before we do that, you can go ahead and turn in your Bibles, please, to 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 13 and 14 will be our text for today. 1 Corinthians 16, 13 and 14, marching orders for tender warriors. And I'm going to open up in prayer uh, this morning with a Puritan prayer from the Valley of Vision. I really feel like I need this, and I think it will be helpful. Let's pray. My Master God, I'm desired to preach today, but go weak and needy to my task. Yet I long that people might be edified with divine truth, that an honest testimony might be born for thee. Give me assistance in preaching and prayer with heart uplifted for grace and unction. Present to my view things pertinent to my subject with fullness of matter and clarity of thought, proper expressions, fluency, fervency, a feeling sense of the things I preach, and grace to apply them to men's consciences. Keep me conscious all the while of my defects, and let me not gloat in pride over my performance. Help me to offer a testimony for thyself and to leave sinners inexcusable in neglecting thy mercy. Give me freedom to open the sorrow of thy people and to set before them comforting considerations. Attend with power the truth preached and awaken the attention of my slothful audience. May thy people be refreshed, melted, convicted, comforted, and help me to use the strongest arguments drawn from Christ's incarnation and sufferings that men might be made holy. I myself need thy support, comfort, strength, holiness, that I might be a pure channel of thy grace and be able to do something for thee. Give me then refreshment among thy people. And help me not to treat excellent matter in a defective way, or bear a broken testimony to so worthy a Redeemer, or be harsh in treating of Christ's death, its design and end, from lack of warmth and fervency. And keep me in tune with thee as I do this work. In Jesus' name, amen. Not only am I preaching from a big Bible this morning, I'm preaching from the NASB for the first time in my life, so I look forward to that, and that ought to be helpful to some of y'all. I'm going to miss preaching from my New King James. I, I, I say uh, New King Jimmy. Marching orders for tender warriors. Be on the alert. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. The application of our biblical text can fortify, can fortify everybody, especially men, to be the leaders that our families, church, community, country, and even the world urgently needs. And something else, today's sermon, by applying these five commands, we can head off, we can put a hedge against, we can take a preemptive strike against some of these problems that plagued the Corinthian church. I want to quote from some material that our pastor uh, had us men read for a class he taught. And that class was called the Leaders in the Making Practical Theology class. Quote, masculinity 
in our world is often defined in terms of brute strength, brash independence, material wealth, ruthless power, or romantic charm. But the Bible has a different perspective on what it means to be a real man. Paul, instructing the men of Corinth toward true masculinity, wrote 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 13. True masculinity doesn't idolize sports, money, status, or the passing pleasures of this world. The lust of the flesh come naturally to sinners, and any self-indulgent boy can consume himself with his own desires. But a real man does what is hard. He is a fighter. He fights for his Savior's glory, for his own sanctification, and for the spiritual good of those around him, unquote. Here's a very brief historical context for, for Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. Paul established or planted the Corinthian church on his second missionary journey, and a few years later he received news that there were many problems, serious problems in the church at Corinth. The bottom line problem with the Corinthian church was worldliness, worldliness. Like much of the evangelical church today, this church is letting the corruptive cultural influences to infiltrate the church. Their immature and shallow understanding of doctrine resulted in their immature and shallow living. They were immature, unloving, and carnal. These ungodly attitudes led to divisions, factions, and cliques. And one of the results of their childishness was charismatic chaos types of so-called worship services. The Corinthians were not. They were not on the alert. They were not standing firm in the faith. They were not acting like men. They were not being strong, and they were not doing everything in love. So to read our text again, Paul wrote, Be on the alert. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. These are five core commands for Christian character. Yes, these are imperatives or commands. They are not suggestions. The Apostle Paul is like a spiritual five-star general. However, the tone and terseness of these commands makes this general sound more like a drill sergeant. He is barking out these final marching orders in staccato fashion, snapping these commands out to new recruits in spiritual boot camp. But the Corinthians were not new recruits. Paul had already taught them for a year and a half. They should have been out of boot camp by now. Paul aims to whip these guys into spiritual shape. Why? Because he loves them. According to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 14, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 14, quote, I do not write these things to shame you, but as beloved children, I admonish you. Paul is their spiritual father. He lovingly rebukes them because he loves them. He breaks them down with the goal of building them up stronger. Paul admonishes or puts into their minds a warning to be watchful, a warning to be watchful. The first command in the NASB says, be on the alert. Other Bible versions translate this as, be alert, keep alert, stay alert, stay awake, watch, be watchful, be on your guard, and stay on guard. In, the, in this context, the Greek word means to be spiritually awake, spiritually alert, Spiritually on guard. Here's a question with respect to this command. Were the Corinthians spiritually on the alert 
as good soldiers of Jesus Christ. Are you, beloved brethren, being spiritually alert to apply the biblical knowledge you receive here each week? We are so blessed. By God's grace, by God's grace, let's be alert to apply the truth we are so blessed to hear each week. May we not forget what edifies us. May we not fail to remember what builds us up. May we not act like we do not know the truth. With this in mind, consider a repetition of a phrase in question format that Paul uses to lovingly admonish the Corinthians with. He does this over and over. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, that's 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, he writes this. By the way, I'm going to be using a lot of scripture, so I'll tell you. You can turn to it if you like, but I'll be telling you when, I, when specifically I want you to turn to some scripture. 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17, he writes, Do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If any man destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him, for the temple of God is holy, and that is what you are. This is a warning to be alert against the deception of trying to build the church on any foundation other than Jesus Christ. That's the context for that. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6, in part of verse 7, Paul writes this. And by the way, when I say Paul writes, that's the same as God says, okay? Your boasting is not good. Do you not know? that a little, little leaven leavens a whole lump of dough? Clean out the old leaven. The leaven here refers to the evil of allowing sexual immorality to remain unchallenged in their church. Continuing with 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. Does any one of you, when he has a case against his neighbor, dare to go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? If the world is judged by you, are you not competent to constitute the smallest law courts? Do you not know that we will judge angels? Christians are not supposed to sue other Christians in secular law courts. Christians are to settle issues and disputes among themselves within the church. Part of 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 says this. Part of 6, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Part of 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 15. 1 Corinthians 6, 15 admonishes. Do you not know that your bodies are the members of Christ? And in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 to 20, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 to 20, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. They were not being alert. They were not fleeing from sexual immorality. Here's a question for you. Are you fleeing from sexual immorality? The strongest form of no is Paul's passionate plea to the Corinthians and to us today. May it never be! Other translations cry out, never, certainly not, God forbid, absolutely not! 
1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24, 1 Corinthians 9, 24. Again, do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. I think you get the idea here. The problem with the Corinthians was that they did not what? Fill in the blank. This is congregational participation here. The, the problem with the Corinthians is that they did not know. Thank you. Got a few no's. That's good. Y'all warming up. Or we could say this. They were acting like they did not know. They were acting like they did not know. They were not being alert to apply the truths that Paul had diligently taught them. This spiritual amnesia or spiritual forgetfulness is very dangerous. Not remembering God's ways was the plague of Old Testament Israel. Not remembering God's ways is also the plague of much of the evangelical church today. Accordingly, Paul gives the warning of Old Testament Israel in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 to motivate alertness. The first part of chapter 10 verse 1 says, For I do not want you to be unaware, brethren. This chapter is a spiritual wake-up call to take heed, to watch out with vigilance, be on the alert to maintain self-discipline and self-control. Did you hear that? That's so important to grow spiritually. Maintain self-discipline, self-control. Furthermore, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. They were acting unaware, ignorant, uninformed about spiritual gifts. Paul wanted to make them alert to the uniting truth, to the uniting truth, the edifying truth about the mature understanding and use of spiritual gifts in the church. Their misunderstanding and abuse, that's right, abuse of spiritual gifts was the result of their lack of love for each other. This is why the famous love chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, is placed where it is. Remember, love rebukes. Love admonishes. Paul, a tender warrior, rebuked the Corinthian believers for listening to the lies of the unbelieving Corinthians. There were some of those. These unbelievers, the so-called brethren, but not real brethren. They actually denied the resurrection. Even considering this heresy, stifles sanctification or spiritual growth. Picking up in the middle of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 32, Paul writes, to wake up the apathetic, to wake up the apathetic, to alertness. In the middle of 1 Corinthians 15, 32, if the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Young people, preteens, teenagers, bad company corrupts good morals. Become sober-minded as you ought and stop sinning for some have no knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. That's the rest of that verse. 
My new King Jimmy has this for the beginning of verse 34. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 34. Awake to righteousness and do not sin. Don't be spiritually sleepy. Don't be spiritually apathetic. Don't be spiritually lazy. It is very dangerous for you as a Christian soldier to not be vigilant. Don't leave your lookout post. Keep your eyes open to what is going on around you. Be on your guard as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Be watchful as a warrior. We must be on the alert. Be on the alert. Be on the spiritual alert. Be spiritually on your guard. Be watchful. Be vigilant. Be vigilant for what? Be vigilant for what? 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 tells us in 1 Peter 5, 8, Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Our adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. How do we resist Satan? The next part of 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 9 provides the answer. But resist him firm in your faith. Here's a word of caution. We don't attack Satan. We don't rebuke Satan. That is not biblical, and it is actually foolish. That is what many charismatics recommend. What should we do? We first watch out. There's a lot of things, but we first watch out for the wicked one in his wily ways. We resist Satan with Scripture. This is what Jesus did in Matthew chapter 4. We resist that liar, the devil, with the truth of God's word. We resist Satan by standing firm on the promises of the Bible. We, faith, we faithfully resist the devil and his demons by standing steadfast, by standing firm on the immovable, solid foundation of the Bible. James chapter 4, verse 7, James 4, 7, equips us with this truth. Submit, therefore, to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. As good soldiers, we must submit or line up under our commander, God Almighty, to experience this victory. Even though we are on, listen to this, even though we are on the alert for the deceiver, the devil, our focus must be on God. Accordingly, the first part of James chapter 4, verse 8, the first part of James 4, verse 8 says, Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Both Peter and James teach us that God gives strengthening grace. That ought to be a part of your vocabulary as a side note. Strengthening grace. God gives strengthening grace to us as we humble ourselves under his mighty hand. And as I said before, sometimes our problem is that we don't get low enough. We need to get low and get under his mighty hand so that he can lift us up. And we need to be clothed with humility. In addition to being on, on the alert for Satan, we should be on alert or watchful for temptation. I'm still on the first command, and I'm breaking that down. We need to be on the alert or watchful for temptation. Remember what Jesus told his closest three disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane in Matthew chapter 26, 41. Matthew 26, 41. Keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. We need to be alert to areas where we can be tempted. This is connected with Satan's temptations toward us. We must see the schemes of Satan that are trying to snare us. 
men, especially in areas that we are particularly vulnerable. Satan knows these weak areas in your defense, and he will target these areas with his flaming arrows. Be on guard for your strong areas also. Did you hear that? Be on guard for your strong areas also. Pride goes before destruction. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. Warns against overconfidence in ourselves. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. Our superconfidence in God's faithfulness, his precious promises to help us. That's where our focus needs to be. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says this. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man, and God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. Let's be on the alert, my beloved brethren. Quote, so that no advantage will be taken of us by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his schemes. 2 Corinthians 2.11. That's 2 Corinthians 2.11. As a side note, our pastor, his dissertation is on this stuff I'm talking about. The Corinthians were acting ignorant in 1 Corinthians. They did not know Satan's schemes. Consequently, the devil was successfully launching many attacks against them. Don't be spiritually sleepy. Be on the alert. Be watchful in prayer. Be watchful in prayer at all times. In the context of spiritual warfare, warfare Paul wrote this in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18. In Ephesians 6, 18. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all saints. Continual persevering prayer for ourselves and for each other. Let's pray for each other. That helps us to be strong in the Lord. We are to be on the alert for temptation, Satan, and thirdly, the imminent return of our Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, I'm talking about the rapture of the church. The church will be caught up to meet the Lord Jesus in the air, according to 1 Thessalonians 4.17. 1 Thessalonians 4.17. This is also described in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 51 and 52. In 1 Corinthians 15, verses 51 and 52, as believers, it's described this way. Listen, as believers being changed in the twinkling of an eye without dying. In both passages... The dead in Christ will have their bodies resurrected. The rapture of living believers and the resurrection of dead believers, what does this do? It produces resolve to be faithful in the work God has called us to do. We are exhorted in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, all is abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. And let's do, it, let's do this lovingly from the heart. There are other things that we need to be on the alert for that I will only mention for time purposes. We need to be on the alert for false teachers. I'm only going to mention one by name today. 
Jesus warned about false prophets in Matthew chapter 7. Paul warned about false teachers in 2 Timothy chapter 4. And Peter warned about false teachers in 2 Peter 2. That's Matthew 7, 2 Timothy 4, and 2 Peter 2. As I mentioned earlier, some of the Corinthians were actually listening to false teachers who denied the core part of the gospel, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But for us brethren who love the Bible, we had to be alert and discerning for far more subtle false teachings and teachers. God's first marching order for his tender warriors is this. Be on the alert. Be on the alert. God's second marching order for his tender warriors. Tender warriors. Let that percolate and marinate in the back of your head. and We'll talk about that later. God's second marching order for his tender warriors is the second principle from our biblical text. 1 Corinthians chapter 16 verse 13. Stand firm in the faith. Stand firm in the faith. Notice the Bible says the faith. The faith is not your faith. Your faith is subjective. In contrast, the faith is objective. The faith is the objective truth of the Bible. The faith is the word of God. The faith is sound biblical doctrine. The faith is uh, especially, the faith especially refers to the bullseye of the Bible, the gospel. The Apostle Paul commands the Corinthians to stand firm. Why does he do that? Because they were not standing firm in the faith. But let's first, uh, let's first briefly consider the importance of the verb tense of the Greek word for stand firm or stand fast if you have a KJV. The verb tense for stand firm is in the present tense. And just like the previous command to be on the alert, that's in the present tense. This is very important because the present tense calls for consistent habitual action. Spiritually, as soldiers of the cross of Christ, it is our duty to stand firm 24-7, remaining watchful at our military post. We must be watchful on our guard duty to stand firm in the biblical faith. We better not be spiritually nodding off, getting spiritually drowsy and sluggish while guarding our military post of biblical wisdom. If we get lazy, apathetic, and indifferent, the devil is given an opportunity to deceive us into thinking crazy stuff. The Father of Lies wants us to falsely think this. The Father of Lies wants us to falsely think that our unity as a church does not depend on unity of sound doctrine. It is incumbent upon us to have a bold conviction that it is the truth that unites and it's the truth that promotes godly living. The, the, the Corinthians, they had divisions, schisms, factions, cliques, etc. In chapter 1, because of their backsliding into bad theology, they put man's wisdom above God's wisdom. In chapter 2, the Corinthians' wrong beliefs led to wrong behavior. Chapter 3 tells us they experienced jealousy and strife. As soldiers, we must stand firm in the faith of God's word. We must stand firm on the firm foundation of Scripture. As tender warriors, we must hold our ground. Listen carefully. Be on the alert for what I'm about to say. The devil, the enemy of your soul, all he needs is one inch of the ground of your life. Satan's device is to get one inch of your life 
In other words, to get a toehold in your life. From this toehold, he will relentlessly, ruthlessly launch attacks on you. Satan's goal here is to gain a stronghold in your life, to devour you. Here's a hypothetical devil's scheme. In the back of my mind, I'm thinking screw tape letters, C.S. Lewis. This is a loving warning for you. Take heed, brethren. If you give the devil 1% or one acre of your life, he will strategically take the acre in the very center, in the middle of the ground of your life. From this center, this strategic point of access, the devil and actually his demons, more likely, will shoot the flaming arrows of temptation. Temptations. 1% may not sound like a lot, may not sound like much, but we better not forget what the Corinthians foolishly acted like they forgot in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6. In 1 Corinthians 5, 6, this verse is used again. By the way, I'm going to use a lot of the verses twice today, a little unusual. This verse is used again to alert us to the point I'm making. Quote, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough? The Corinthians were so corrupted in their thinking that they were actually boasting about the leaven of immorality in their midst. How twisted and bizarre is that? They gave the devil more than an inch. Therefore, the devil was successively launching attacks that leavened, that permeated, that spread throughout the whole church at Corinth. The solution for them was to mortify sin to kill this sin because this type of sin was killing their congregation. The sexual sin was like sinking sand beneath their feet. So Paul gives the glorious solution. He tells them to clean out this leaven, the sin of malice and wickedness. He tells them to celebrate Christ with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. How does this relate to the so-called evangelical church today? Much of the contemporary church today is not standing firm in the faith of God's truth. Many professing Christians have unwittingly, unknowingly, given up much more than one inch of spiritual ground to their adversary, the devil. I've never had to mention the devil or Satan so much in a sermon. Hopefully I never have to do this again. It's hard, I'm telling you, but it needs to be said. It goes with the text. Here is how upside down some of the thinking is. Some so-called evangelicals boast about vagueness, boast about not being clear. For example, a threat, a recent, a threat to biblical Christianity emerged about 10 years ago, maybe a little longer than that. This is the emerging church movement led by people like Rob Bell. These leaders take pride in not standing firm in the faith. Did you hear that? They take pride in not standing firm in the faith. They consider it arrogant to stand firm. They believe it is a virtue to doubt the clarity of the Bible. I don't know about you, you but those are fighting words to me. Be alert to what I'm about to say. It is impossible for anybody to stand firm on a foundation that they declare is not solid and steady. Doubting the clarity of the Bible is a subtle form of unbelief. Real Christians believe the Bible 
is the clear, understandable, 100% true, sufficient, inerrant, without error, Word of God. So examine yourselves to see if you are standing firm in the biblical faith. A strong evidence of saving faith is a passion, a zeal, a burning zeal, red hot, for standing firm for the faith. Please turn quickly in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12. I'm going to read Ephesians chapter 4, verses 12 through 16. And one thing interesting about Ephesians 4, 12 through 16 is that this section of Scripture, it actually touches on all five of the commands, all five of the marching orders that I'm talking about today. I'm not going to tell you what they are. That's actually going to be a homework assignment. But I'm going to read this. And the context is this. Jesus Christ has gifted men to be pastors and teachers. That's at the tail end of verse 11, and then picking up in verse 12. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of the service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Again, as a homework assignment, go back and look and see. All five of these commands we're talking about will be touched on. And while I'm talking about homework assignments, I'm going to give you another one. I know it sounds crazy. Uh, I'd like you to read the whole book of Corinthians. Read it, and that will be, you'll, you'll understand it more uh, after today's sermon. It'll be a blessing. Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 20. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 20 says this, Brethren, do not be children in your thinking, yet in evil be infants, but in your thinking be mature. The Corinthians were not standing firm in the faith with mature Thinking. They were blowing around like leaves in their breeze with childish thinking. Specifically, the context here is that they were being children in their understanding of and use of spiritual gifts. The result was disunity in the church, an unloving church, and so-called worship services filled, like I said earlier, with charismatic chaos. It was out of control. Our second command or, or marching order is, as I'm talking about, stand firm in the faith. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 teaches us this. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 teaches us that the Holy Spirit sovereignly gives spiritual gifts for the building up of the body of Christ, the church. And we show love toward each other as we serve each other here at Calvary 
Baptist Church. Here's a heart-probing question for each person listening to the sermon. Ask yourself this question. Am I lovingly using my spiritual gift, gift or gifts to serve my brethren here at Calvary Baptist Church? If not, why not? The Corinthians were not standing firm in the deeper truths that the Apostle Paul taught them. He explains this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, they were spiritual, spiritual babies, still only capable of drinking the milk, the ABCs of God's Word. They desperately needed to stand firm to grow in spiritual maturity. They needed to make spiritual progress by being willing and able to eat the solid food, the meat of God's Word. They needed the deeper truths of God's Word to become stronger spiritually. We need to feast on the solid, sweet-tasting biblical food, the Bible. Brethren, by doing this, we can be strong to avoid the Corinthian problem just mentioned, the Corinthian problem of jealousy and strife. Love is not jealous. We stand firm in God's truth together, together, in unity. Let's feed ourselves and feed each other to nourish each other for the battle, our daily lifelong battle. A well-fed Christian is stronger in battle. God, the commander-in-chief of the universe, the Lord of hosts of the angelic armies, he commands us to stand firm in the faith warring a good warfare as soldiers of the cross of Christ. We are to fight the good fight of faith according to 1, Corinthians, I mean 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12. 1 Timothy 6, 12. The faith is the 66 books of God's one and only book, the Holy Bible. We are in a truth war. As part of Jude chapter 3 states, we must, quote, contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all handed down to the saints. Notice the term contend. This strong word means we are to struggle, to strive with great agonizing effort for the Christian faith. We contend, but we are not to be contentious. It is unloving to argue for spiritual truth in a way that promotes strife by God's grace. And for his glory, let's share the truth in love, in meekness and godly fear with gentleness and respect. Here's a quote from the Prince of Preachers, Charles Spurgeon, that helps to give us balance in the battle for the Bible. The church of Christ is continually represented under the figure of an army. Yet its captain is the Prince of Peace. Its object is the establishment of peace, and its soldiers are men of peaceful disposition. The spirit of war is at the extremely opposite point to the spirit of the gospel. Yet nevertheless, the church on earth has, and until the second advent, must be the church militant, the church armed, the church warring, the church conquering. The spotless purity of truth must always be at war with heresy and lies. 
Please turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We'll look at verses 1 through 4. First Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 4. Most of all, strong soldiers must stand firm in the biblical gospel. Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which also you stand, by which also you are saved. If you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Please be alert to the huge fact in verse 1. Dear brethren, as Christians, we stand in the gospel. We stand in the gospel. Verse 2 informs us that this gospel saves us. Verses 3 and 4 hone in on the heart of the gospel. The heart of the gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for our sins. Believer's sins. Many of the Corinthians were Christians. I, I think back to chapter 1, they're called saints. Many of the Corinthians were Christians. But they were backslidden. True Christians will hold fast or firmly to the word of the gospel preached to them. You'll keep on believing the gospel to the day you die or to the day you're raptured, if that happens. Notice the word if in verse 2. If you depart from the faith of the gospel, you will demonstrate that you have believed in vain. To believe in vain means to not biblically believe unto salvation. To believe in vain is to express, is to express a false profession. Believing in vain is head knowledge, which is very important. Head knowledge only, though. Believing in vain is head knowledge only concerning the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Head knowledge without believing in your heart unto righteousness is a non-saving so-called faith. That's a dead faith. By God's saving grace, you must repent of sin and commit to submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Genuine saving faith for the forever forgiveness of all your sins is trusting commitment. Did you catch that? That's the best two words I've ever come across in my study of the gospel. Trusting, you keep on doing it, trusting commitment to Jesus as Savior from sin's penalty and the Lord of your life. Some of the Corinthians were actually boasting about sin. However, we learn from 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, 2 Corinthians 7, 10, that godly sorrow over your sin leads you to repentance unto salvation. I have a question for you. Has that happened to you? Has that happened to you? I want to equip you with just one more cross-reference for standing firm in the faith before marching onwards to the third command. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, Paul writes, Philippians 1, 27, 
Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. With integrity, may we continue to strive together for the faith of the gospel here at Calvary Baptist Church. I believe we're doing that. That's one of the reasons I'm here with my family. Beyond the alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, let all that you do be done in love. The third marching order, the third marching order, the third command, the third principle is act like men. Act like men. My new King Jimmy translates the Greek as be brave. Bible scholars, they define this term as, quote, to conduct oneself in a manly or courageous way, to be brave, to display courage. According, accordingly, other Bible translations say, act like men or be men of courage. This word could even be translated, play the man, properly understood. The Corinthian church was in a mess because the men were acting like children. They expressed immature and unloving attitudes. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11, says this, When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. Have you put away childish things? I will quote 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 20 again. 1 Corinthians 14, 20 again. Because it helps us to understand this third command. Brethren, do not be children in your thinking, yet in evil be infants. But in your thinking, be mature. Ladies, ladies, don't worry. Our text today is not instructing you to act like men. However, a correct application would be this. It is telling you to be mature, to be brave, to be courageous in your high calling as women. Listen to this explanation of courage from a men's ministry leader and a former college president of a huge college. He wrote this, an explanation of courage. This is good. Courage is to stand on your faith your convictions, and your principles. It is to stand for what is right in God's eyes and His Word, even in the face of adversity and peer pressure. It is to lead by standing alone at times and saying no to things that are wrong. It is not an absence of fear, but it is being brave and strong. Courage is fear that has said it, its prayers. Courage is an evidence of strong conviction and good character. God always linked strength and courage together in Scripture and in His commands to His leaders, unquote. Please turn in your Bibles to Joshua chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. Joshua chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. Men, listen up, men, the key to acting like men is to be men of the word. The key to acting like men is to be men of the word. I'd write that down if I was taking notes. 
The context for Joshua chapter 1, verses 6 through 9 is this. The Lord Yahweh spoke to Joshua. Imagine that. He's speaking directly to him. Yahweh spoke to Joshua to encourage him in his new leadership role. Joshua was the new leader after Moses. He had big shoes to fill. That's an understatement. He was to lead the people of Israel across the Jordan into the promised land. Joshua chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. Be strong and courageous, for ye shall give this people possession of the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, so that you may have success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. We become spiritually mature, brave, and courageous Christians by meditating on God's Word, the Bible. It's true. We will prosper. We will have success as good soldiers of Jesus Christ if we follow His marching orders, His battle plan. Later in Israel's history, near the end of his life, King David said this, to charge, to encourage, to exhort his son Solomon. In 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 2, 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 2, be strong and show yourself a man. I'm, I'm thinking of the King James. Be strong and show thyself a man. Solomon was to be manly by obeying the word of God if he wanted to have success as the next king of Israel. Look again at our biblical text in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 13, for the fourth command. The fourth command, be strong, be strong. Be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Yes, we just went over some verses that, that exhort us to be strong. The scriptures are the key to being strong. Be steadfast in scripture. I hope you can see how interconnected and overlapping these commands are. Be strong again. Paul commanded the Corinthians to be strong. Why did he do that? Because they were acting weak. That's why they were acting weak. So he says, be strong. Are you acting weak or strong? They were spiritually weak. What's interesting is that they actually thought they were spiritually strong. In part of 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 10, Part of 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 10, Paul uses sanctified sarcasm. He uses sanctified sarcasm to admonish and rebuke their foolishness. Down south in Alabama, where I'm from, we would say that he rebuked the fire out of them. He writes, quote, We are weak, but you are strong. Such self-deception of one's strength is warned against in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, which I quoted earlier, 1 Corinthians 10, 12 again. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. We've got to be careful. How can we be strong? 
And let me ask this. What is our responsibility? What is our responsibility? The Greek verb for be strong is in the passive voice. It's important. That's why I'm sharing it with you. It's in the passive voice. This passive voice is in contrast to the active voice. In the active voice, the person does the action. The four other commands are in the active voice. Two are actually in the middle, but technically they are active. So we have four commands in the active voice, and then in the passive voice, what happens? The person receives the action. In the, in the passive voice, the person receives the action. Listen, I'm going somewhere with this. The person is acted upon. Be strong is in the passive voice. This grammar point has huge theological implications. The grammar points to God. Is that awesome, David? The grammar points to God. Here it is. Our strength is not in ourselves. Our strength comes from the Lord. God makes us strong. Where are we responsible? God makes us strong as. That's what we do. As we yield to him. We got to pray. We got to read the Bible. He's not going to pull something out that we haven't read. God makes us strong as we surrender to him. By yielding or submitting our spirits to the Holy Spirit, we become stronger. We are responsibly dependent. We are responsibly dependent. Sounds like an oxymoron, but it's not. You got to think about it. Responsibly dependent to be strong. Did you catch that? We are responsibly dependent to be strong. In part of Paul's powerful prayer in Ephesians 3.16, we read this in part of Ephesians 3.16 that he, that's referring to God the Father, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. And the powerful result of being strengthened by the Holy Spirit, that is profoundly described in, in the following verses, in verses 17 and 18. And the remarkable result is this, our submission to the lordship of Jesus Christ in a comprehension, at least a tiny bit, a partial comprehension of his amazing, indescribable love for us. All this results in us being filled with the fullness of God in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 19. Ephesians 3, 19. Truly, this fullness of God fortifies us to be faithful as tender warriors in God's great army. Be encouraged, brethren. Be you can, we can be strengthened. We can be strengthened by God's glorious power in the middle of another of Paul's powerful prayers. Be motivated with Colossians chapter 1, verse 11. Colossians chapter 1, verse 11, quote, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience. Joyously, that is with joy. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, 2 Timothy 2, 1, Paul writes to encourage Timothy, in his pastorate, you therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Be strong in the grace. To be strong in God's grace means what? To be empowered by God's grace. We need God's strength to obey God's commands. 
Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. That's Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 and 11. Ephesians 6, 10 and 11. It's hard to hold off, but I will. Pastor Bobby will be preaching on this section of Scripture in the near future, so I'm going to save that for him. It's going to be good. Please don't miss that. Marching Orders for Tender Warriors. That's important. The title for the sermon is very important to me. I put a lot of thought into it. Marching Orders for Tender Warriors. That's my summary. That's what I think this, these two verses mean, what they mean and what God wants us to do with it. Hopefully you can see why I say Tender Warriors. Have you thought about that? Tender warriors. This is a beautiful balance. We walk. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 14, Let all that you do be done in love. Since love is patient and bears all things, here's an immediate application for y'all. Hang in there as I will try to end this sermon shortly. Here's a quote from John MacArthur. He says, you got to listen carefully here. Love complements and balances everything. It is the beautiful softening principle. It keeps our firmness from becoming hardness and our strength from becoming domineering. It keeps our maturity gentle and considerate. It keeps our right doctrine from becoming obstinate dogmatism and our right living from becoming smug self-righteousness, unquote. <clears throat> Here's a quote from... Warren Wiersbe. Warren Wiersbe writes, But even manliness needs to be balanced with love, lest leadership become dictatorship. Abraham Lincoln was a man of velvet steel. Velvet steel. That is a good image for, Christian, for the Christian to borrow, for true manliness does not exclude tenderness. Let all that we do here at Calvary Baptist Church be done in love. The first part of 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8, 1 Peter 4, 8 instructs us, Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another. I will finish by having us read two sections of Scripture. Please turn in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. I'm going to read 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 through 11. First John, Gil kids. We studied that this summer. First John chapter four, seven through eleven. First John four seven. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and every and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this, the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Please turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 
13, verse 4 through 8. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I'm going to read verses 4 through 8a. First Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4. Love is patient, love is kind, and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant. Love does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word, the Bible, the written word. It's so encouraging. And thank you that the gospel so clearly, the Bible, your, your, your word, the Bible so clearly reveals that salvation is in your son, Jesus Christ. And we thank you, Heavenly Father, for the Holy Spirit who helps us to understand what we hear preached and what we understand, help us understand what we read. And I pray that we will yield to the Holy Spirit so that the Spirit can make us strong, so we can follow in the footsteps of Jesus for your glory, Heavenly Father. Help us, please help us to apply what we learned today. Help us to, to be alert, to stand firm in the faith, to act like men, to be mature, courageous. Help us to be strong and help us to do everything in love. Help us to love each other here with the love of Jesus Christ for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.